The Lord be with you. A reading from the Holy Gospel according to John. Jesus went across the Sea of Galilee. A large crowd followed him because they saw the signs he was performing on the sick. Jesus went up on the mountain, and there he sat down with his disciples. The Jewish feast of Passover was near. When Jesus raised his eyes and saw that a large crowd was coming to him, he said to Philip, Where can we buy enough food for them to eat? He said this to test him, because he himself knew what he was going to do. Philip answered him, Two hundred days' wages worth of food would not be enough for each of them to have a little. One of his disciples, Andrew, the brother, the brother of Simon Peter, said to him, There is a boy here who has five barley loaves and two fish, but what good are, this, are these for so many? Jesus said, have the people recline. Now there was a great deal of grass in that place, so the men reclined about 5,000 in number. Then Jesus took the loaves, gave thanks, and distributed to those who were reclining, and also as much as of the fish as they wanted. When they had had their fill, he said to his disciples, Gather the fragments left over so that nothing will be wasted. So they collected them and filled twelve wicker baskets with fragments from the five barley loaves that had been more than they could eat. When the people saw the sign he had done, they said, This is truly the prophet the one who is come, the one who is to come into the world. Since Jesus knew that they were going to come and carry him off to make him king, he withdrew again to the mountain alone. The Gospel of the Lord. In the Gospel today, we heard John's version of the story of the multiplication of the loaves and fish. This particular story, the multiplication of the loaves and fish, is the only miracle of Jesus that is recorded by all the four evangelists. Most of the miracles that we hear about Jesus are unique to some of the particular evangelists. But this one, the miracle of the multiplication of the loaves and fish, can be found in all the four Gospels. And also, this is the miracle 
that has or that had the biggest beneficiaries, many people benefited from this particular miracle. Normally, when Jesus performed the miracle, it's directed to a person or to people. But with this, it's directed to 5,000 men, not counting women and children. So you could probably say that there were around 10,000 people or more. But also, this is the only miracle too that had the biggest audience, the biggest audience and also the biggest beneficiaries of the miracle. So there has to be something to be said about the uniqueness of this particular miracle if the four evangelists recorded, recorded it. So let's dive in a little bit to the details of the gospel according to John for us to appreciate deeply what Jesus wants to convey in the gospel today. We were told that a large crowd followed him because they saw the signs he was performing on the sick. A large crowd. Large crowd. And who was this crowd? Who were these people? It's interesting that at this point in the gospel, Jesus' popular, popularity was quite widespread already. People were already aware of his miracles, curing the sick, making the mute speak, making the lame walk, even raising the dead daughter of Jairus just a few days before this. So his spread was already wide, his fame was already widespread. So people were coming to him for a particular need. It's interesting that in the last Sunday of August, in the, same, in the gospel in the last Sunday of August this year, we would be hearing that the same people who were present today in the gospel were the same people who abandoned him when he started to teach them, when Jesus started to teach them about who he is as the bread of life. When Jesus said, I am the bread of life who comes from the Father, anyone who partakes or anyone who eats my flesh and drinks my blood will have life in them. Or will not, and if you don't eat my flesh and drink my blood, you have no life within you. People just freaked out and abandoned him. The same people who were so gung ho, who were so gung ho today in this gospel, so desperate to be near him, were the same people who left him, and only the twelve remained. Then remember that scene when Jesus turned to his apostles and to Peter and said, guys, are you also going to abandon me? And Peter said, in representing the apostles, where else shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Just looking at the attitude of the crowd in the gospel today, they come to Jesus only because they need something from him. They were desperate for something. 
What is our motivation and our attitude in coming to Jesus? Why are you here? Why do you come to church? Why do you pray? Why do you pray? Is it because I need something from Him so badly? Is it because I have been asking for a miracle? But when things were not doing well, what is the quality of my prayer life? Is, is it as intense as when I am needing something from Him? You know, looking at my own spiritual and prayer life, my most intense prayer moments were in those times when I am most in need. And I wish, and I'm still hoping and praying, that the intensity of my prayer in those times when I am in need is also the same intensity that I come to God when things are just normal in my life. Because when things are just normal in my life, I tend to sometimes get complacent. Not as, not as strong and desperate, not as personal even in my own relationship with God. And I hope that I am not just coming to Him because I am waiting for something from Him to be realized in my life, but rather I come to Him precisely because I am convinced that apart from Him, there is no life, whether He answers my prayers or not, <laughs> whether I need something from Him this time or not, and that my relationship with Him is that mother that allows me to live and wake up in the morning and look forward to the future. Why do you come to the Lord? Why do you approach Him? And why do you seek Him? Then we were told that the Jewish feast of Passover was near, and Jesus, raising His eyes, saw this crowd and said, Wow, it's getting late. It's getting late. We need to feed this crowd. It's interesting, in the version of Matthew, it was, actually, it was actually the disciple, one of the disciples telling Jesus, Jesus dismissed the crowd so that they'll have a little bit of time to go to the nearby towns and get something to eat. It's a very practical solution. It's a very practical solution, but in the version of John, it was Jesus who turned to Philip and said, where can we buy enough food for them to eat? You know, Philip is not a very famous, is, is, is not one of those famous apostles in the scriptures. This is one of those times that his name appeared, and I'm so curious, why did Jesus not turn to Simon? Simon is always like the person who, you know, who always volunteers to do something. But this time he turned to Philip. Philip was from Bethsaida. And, and Bethsaida is very near to this particular place where the multiplication of the loaves happened. So he knew 
that Philip is the most knowledgeable of the place because that is his turf. So he turned to Philip and said, do you know any place in here? Is there like Fred Meyer or even a 7-Eleven that we can go to to feed these people? And Philip said, are you crazy? We're in the middle of the desert. And even if there is a store, we don't have any resources. We, and then he, 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 he answered Jesus with the most practical, a very practical answer. He said, 200 days wages worth of food would not be enough for each of them to have a little. This just reminds me of my response, you know, whenever there is a new program suggested to me by a staff or by a parishioner, you know, I get it there and, uh, and I study and I, and, and I read what it is about. And uh, at the back of my mind, the first thing that comes to my mind is, how much will this cost? <laughs> Are we going to afford this? You know, my tendency is to be like Philip, to be practical right away and say, do we have the resources to do this? But the question, actually, it's the wrong question. I realize that it's a wrong question. The question that I must ask first is, will this truly advance the kingdom of God? Will this make people, allow people to grow closer to God and not ask right away how much this costs? Just like, Peter, just like Philip did. And you know, it's amazing. In, many, in the many programs that we have initiated here, even though we don't have money for it, money just appears. You get a call and say, Father, I've heard about this, that you want to start something. Um, I'm going to take care of the half of it. Or someone's like, oh, Father, a check is on the way. Don't worry about this. Because God, in the end, if it's all about advancement to the kingdom, He will make a way to make it happen. And what is so interesting about this is that John said, John said that he said this, he asked the question, where can we buy enough food for them to eat? The question, that was the question of Jesus. But John said that he said this to test him because he himself knew what he was going to do. That's really something else, no? With Jesus. You know, sometimes, even in my own pastoral life, I act as if Jesus doesn't know what to do. And I know better. So this is not going to happen. But we need to trust in the providential love of God. I preached about this a couple of years ago, I think, and I said that, you know, in the world, we normally think of, of success as depending whose hands it is on. Like I, I mentioned before that a, a basketball in my hand is worth like a dollar, but a basketball in the hand of LeBron James is worth how many millions, right? A, a racket or a tennis racket in my hand is worth five bucks, but a racket in the hand of Nadal 
or Djokovic is worth millions. A fish, fish and bread on my hand is just a fish sandwich. But if you put it in the hands of Jesus, it can feed a thousand or millions. It depends on whose hands it is on. So that is why if we put everything on the hands of Christ and surrender it to Him, whatever we're trying to do in our own vocation, in the call that God has given you, you will not gonna be left short. You will not gonna be left short-handed because God's grace, it's amazing, you know, God's grace always provides. Always provides. I was just talking, I, not talking, but I was reading one of the stories of Mother Teresa, St. Teresa of Calcutta, and, he said, and she said, in one of their houses um, in India, of feeding you know, the, the poor and the, uh, the marginalized, they said that like two days before the end of the month, they always feel like, where are we going to get the food that we're going to feed people the next day? And all the time, a day before, a day before that, something will just going to show up in the door that would be enough for them to feed people for the whole month. <laughs> without, you know, without, uh, what, what's the word in English? I haven't eaten my lunch yet. Um, sorry, <laughs> I'm talking about food. Uh, without delay, you know, without delay. It is the five loaves, barley loaves, and fish that fed the 5,000. And from a little boy. You know, the little boy, five loaves of bread and fish were so ordinary. Children, during the time of Jesus, Sadly, we're really the most insignificant. They didn't have any rights during the time of Jesus. They were considered to be, you know, they, they're so dependent, and they were, they were not valued in as much as we value them, you know, this time. But also, the five loaves of bread, barley loaves, was the food of the poor. And the same one, the fish, the fish that we're talking about here, the two fish, it was the food of the poor during the time of Jesus. So insignificant, not even the, the food of the wealthy and the rich. But from there, in the most simple things, God made one of the most incredible miracles happen. You know, sometimes we think that Whatever we have is too little to make a difference. It's like, oh, I don't really, you know, what I have is insignificant to what, what is being asked. But don't belittle the little thing that you have because if you put it in the hands of the Lord, it can multiply. We can see in this story that from poverty, abundance came or sprang. 
The most incredible people that I've met in my life, even here at the parish, you know, were, were people who, who are always in the background doing the, most, doing the most simple things, but if you don't have them, some of our major ministries will not survive. <laughs> and they might think that the role is, significant, is, is, is insignificant, but it is in their poverty, the littleness and the simplicity of what they do, that most of our ministries stand. So don't ever try to belittle the little things that you can contribute as long as we put them at the service of God and in the hands of God. Lastly, this miracle is always connected with the Eucharist. I want you guys to pay one particular attention with what happens at Mass here at the very beginning of or right after the offertory. Normally, after the priest receives the bread and the wine from, from here, from the credence table or from the people, he elevates it one by one, the bread and the wine. And there's music normally, so the priest normally doesn't say, blessed are you, Lord God of all creation. Through your goodness, we have received the bread we offer you, fruit of the earth and work of human hands. It will become for us the bread of life. Normally, the priest doesn't say that in Sunday Mass because of the music. But I want you to pay attention at that part, even though you're singing. It's one of the most poignant parts of the Mass. When the priest elevates the bread, he is not just elevating the bread, he is elevating all of the things that you bring to the altar. All of the things. Same thing with the wine. The wine in the bread represents the entire creation. So that is why normally, pre-pandemic, it is being brought by an offerer because it's coming from the people representing all of your needs, all of the things that you represent. And when the priest elevates it, he elevates you and everything about you. So whenever you, you see the priest doing that, Always unite in that particular action everything that you bring to the table. Unite yourself and say, I offer my entirety to you, Lord. And that the same thing that you offer is the one that's going to be transformed into his body and blood and you're going to be receiving it anew. God can never be at done in his generosity. We think that we give. We think that, you know, we give back to him. But what we give back to him, he gives back to us again hundredfold. So, my dear friends, the story today is about God's utmost generosity for us. Utmost generosity. And he becomes that simple bread and simple wine so that we can have easy access to him the most simplest things become god's identity so that he can be accessible to you